This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Nicolás Pepe que quiere marcharse de ese miedo. El miedo de momento está enchufado. Ahora justo lo digo y justo se pierde. Ay, a punto está de cometer penalti. Pepe, 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 Pepe. Is Arsecast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, goodly morning to you. It is a goodly morning, mm. a very goodly morning. And congratulations, Andrew, 20 years of Ars Blog yesterday. Thank you very much. Who Incredible. Where has the time gone? Where has the I, time gone? It is absolutely crazy. Yeah, th- yeah. thank you for your uh, very nice words on your, your video. Um, you're, you're, oh no, my you're pleasure. Much, Did you? You're much delayed post Wolves video. Yes, it's barely. I mean, I had to talk about something else, right? Because it, I couldn't just talk about wolves. It was too late. But did you have a nice day? Did you celebrate yourself? I did. I did. I have to say thank you to uh, to everybody for all the messages, emails, uh, Twitter mentions, Facebooks, posts, things. All of them. They're just so numerous. I can't even begin to get around to replying to them all individually. So I just want to say thank you very much to to everybody. Uh, I got quite emotional, actually, because everyone was just so nice, <laughs> which is, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not uh, that I have low expectations of people, but you know what it's like. You kind of forget sometimes just how many people are out there and how many people listen and read and, and you um, have just been part of this thing for 20 years and it's amazing. So thank you so much to everyone. And yes, I went, um, had a bit of a celebration, went for some Mexican food, had some uh, frozen margaritas and uh, came home and had another couple of drinks. And uh, I, yes, I'm feeling a, l- a little bit today, um, <laughs> just a little bit. I was out um, taking Lana for a walk, listening to uh, Mark Maron's podcast. Um, mm. And it was very, very soothing because he's got Sam Elliott on. You know the actor oh, Sam wow. Elliott from yeah, yeah. Big Lebowski who does the, and his voice is just unbelievable. I'm sort of walking along with a bit of a hangover, and he's sort of like, "Well, uh, yeah, I've always had the mustache. Uh, my whole life, I've had a lot. apologies for my terrible accent, but that kind of deep rumble uh, is quite mm. soothing when you've got a bit of a hangover. So I recommend it to anyone else who is uh, suffering a bit today. Uh, you can get some Mark Maron and Sam Elliott in your ears after you're finished with this, of course. He could have. He could play Stan, couldn't he? In the in the in the cronky biopic, Sam Elliott. Oh wow, uh, there's a good shout, isn't it? Yeah, he's yeah. got the moustache for it, certainly. He definitely uh, does. He definitely. Oh does. yeah, a very sonorous voice. Well, congratulations. I'm glad yeah. you had uh, a good day, richly deserved, and I'm sure all the listeners will uh, join me in 
saying thank you for an amazing 20 years. Yeah, well, it's... Um, here's to the next 20. Here's to the next 20, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and, and hopefully people are enjoying the podcasts as well, um, which I recorded over the last little while. But, but what I did was, after I got them all recorded and edited and what have you, I sort of did the little intro and outro to each one. Right. All in basically a day and a half. And by the time I got to about the 10th, I was running out of ways just to say goodbye. It just sounded yeah. weird in my head. Like <laughs> every time I was like, take a tip from me, yeah. just keep it consistent. Bye bye. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I don't deviate, you know. When you've got something and it works, stick yeah. to it. Yeah. It's just, you know, when you repeat a word over and over again and the word loses all sense and meaning. It was like yeah. that, but with a with a goodbye part of a podcast. I was like, does that make sense? I've said that before. <laughs> I feel like I'm repeating myself here, uh, which I was, uh, of course. But uh, yeah, there you go. How was your yeah, weekend? Uh, yeah, I have listened to it yeah. before. I, do you know what? I've, weirdly, I've not gone for chronology. I've 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 gone like years that I was particularly interested in first, yeah. but I will consume them all eventually. Twenty hours though, so it's a lot of listening. Well, it's not quite yeah, twenty, not quite twenty hours, because um, I kept them to about half an hour. Most of them, anyway. Some are a little bit longer, um, but there, yeah, there's a, a good chunk of audio for people to get through in a week when there isn't any Arsenal. So, uh, a little bit of public service there. How was your weekend and your stage show and everything else? It all went well. It was great. I mean, as you know, if you listen to the Arsecast on Friday. Mm. Um, I had the brilliant incident on Thursday night with uh, the guy coming up to uh, tell me uh, the score. In fact, I think I had a message today from one of that group, one of that party. Um, right. I forget who it was now. Let's have a look. Oh, here you go. Ben Turner. Hi, James. I was at your show on Thursday. It was actually my cousin who got a bit too excited at full time and let you know the result during the show. He was suitably mortified, embarrassed by the time the show ended, which makes the whole thing even better. Um, but wow. it got us thinking on the way home, if there is any other news or event, it would be acceptable for someone to interrupt a live show with. Definitely a night we and I'm, sh I'm sure you will never forget. I mean, listen, it was, if, if, it's gonna, if you're going to interrupt a show with news, make it good news. Well, yeah, and, um, you don't want to hear about a 95th minute uh, goal for Wolves, for example. <laughs> No, that, that that would have been really disastrous, especially in the midst of a comedy show. It really yeah. could have taken a turn. <laughs> Why is he suddenly breaking down in tears at the microphone? Very odd. Um, they must have thought there'd been like a bereavement or something. Um, but yeah, I it was a lovely weekend. Lots of Arsenal fans came in. Oh, that lady Karen came. Yeah, I, I saw about. your tweet. Yeah. Um, you, you spoke about her at the end of the podcast a couple of months back. Probably yeah, that's right. Point. It was December, I think. Right. She's a big Arsenal fan and listener to the podcast. And her family had got in touch and said, oh, you know, um, it'd be lovely if you could give her a mention or something like that. Mm. Because she had cared for my grandfather in his final days in hospital, in yeah. the general hospital on the ward he was on, which was called Bluebell Ward. And so, you know, I was obviously so touched to hear about that. And she listens to the show all the time and just one of those weird small world coincidences. She had recognised me coming into the hospital and never said anything but realised it was me. And, yeah, one of those odd, um, you know, mm. small world moments. And then uh, the other night, Saturday night, was it maybe, uh, I came out of the show and she was there waiting in the bar. Wow. And I got to meet her in real life. 
and her family and thank them and yeah sign a book for them and all those kinds of things and just so nice i honestly like mm. to be able to express your gratitude in person um was a really fortuitous thing and it was a, a really touching moment yeah oh, that's lovely that is lovely yeah it, is it was nice and so i had a really lovely week and um thank you i know you know i'm so lucky like I, I, obviously the show has a kind of organic audience of its own but it's definitely boosted up by uh, an arsenal fan contingent mm. so thank you I, I really appreciate it all right so let me ask you this go on i you know i didn't see the carabao cup final Okay. Yesterday, because uh, I was otherwise engaged with um, nice food and drinks and everything else, and there was no TV in the place. Uh, but I caught the penalty shootout um, this morning when I got up. I had a look at that and, and enjoyed that a lot. Um, at what point did you do the tweet? At what point did you do that tweet? Like, how long before the penalty shootout was that? Because I have no concept of the the time. It wasn't long before. I, I, so right. I tweeted saying, um, oh, it'd be funny if Kepa came on. Imagine if Kepa comes on, doesn't save a sing, single penalty and um, misses the misses key the crucial kick. Yeah. But that was, we were, the shootout was already underway at that point. He was already right. on the field. But I mean... You know, I'm still being hailed as a kind of Nostradamus, and I'll take it. I will absolutely <laughs> take it. Um, but it was very, very, very funny, I think. Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, on the Discord, Simon Party King message saying, spare a thought for Kepper. That thought being, ha, 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 <laughs> you daft prick. I mean, there was one penalty. I can't remember which one it was. But... He did the thing, you know, that goalkeepers do, like he stands on one side to make one side of the goal bigger and you think you're going to try and tempt the penalty taker to put it in the side of the goal where there is more to aim at, right? Mm. And there was one of them where he stood there doing that and whoever it was just fucking leathered the ball past oh, him on the... Van Dyke. On the, was it the Van Dyke one where he was mm. he was actually standing with... Uh, I mean, I've never seen a keeper manage to get out of the way of 11 penalties as well as him. That was extraordinary, that moment. I think that is, to be honest... <laughs> probably where Liverpool won the shootout. It was a pretty ballsy move. Kepper stood very clearly on one side of the goal and Van Dijk just didn't play into it at all, just no. smashed the ball past him on that side. Picked his spot, corner. yeah. And it made Kepper look pretty silly. <laughs> um, and, and, and as for his penalty, by the way, I mean, wow. I mean, it's a, it's a... It's a decent conversion in rugby terms. Yeah. I mean, it's about 10 yards over the bar. Um, and uh, I might mangle this pronunciation, but Ke is it Keevan Kelleher? Queeving. Queeving Kelleher. I was close. Um, he took a brilliant penalty. He did, I mean, yeah. he looks a very good player, by the way. I do think he looks a really he promising. Does. He does. He does remind me a bit, though, of what Jedward would look like if they had a baby <sighs> with each other. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's a small gene pool. Maybe it's possible. But I, I, I yeah, he, he took he side footed his yeah, it was very like, good to the roof. It was of very good. Um, so yeah, he was the victor on the day. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I've seen a piece doing the rounds this morning on the Telegraph. Are people scoring more penalties? It's a small sample size. You have to get like, some. If... I couldn't tell you from an Arsenal yeah. perspective. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we'll never find out no, with no, Arsenal. No. 
sadly, we'll never be able to know. Um, it's, with Arsenal, it's an even smaller sample size. Yeah. But yeah, it does seem like shootouts. Um, I thought it was a lockdown thing. You know, I thought it was like absence of crowds. People could just stick penalties away. Right. But last night, I mean, those Chelsea players, they were taking second into the Liverpool fans. You know, every kick was a pressure kick. And until mm. Kepa, they were outstanding. And then, wow. Yeah. Extraordinary. What 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 um, do you think Edward Mendy is thinking this morning? Because, like, you're the number one goalkeeper at a club. Well, he had an outstanding game as well. Oh, did he? Saw, yeah, no, he I made didn't. some unbelievable saves. Wow. He made one in the first half from Sadio Mane. A kind of double reaction save. I mean, he's a fantastic goalkeeper as well. Mm. Um a lot of good goalkeepers in this league, I really think. Like, yeah, yeah. There's not a lot between them, and he he was brilliant. And um, so that was all the more strange because he also made a save in the last minute in stoppage time from Van Dijk right. from a header that was fantastic. And it, you know, I, I do wonder if that might have given him a bit of a psychological advantage. I think Liverpool would have been quite relieved to see him coming off um, because he'd had such a good game. Yeah. Uh, but it was predetermined. Sure. Apparently. No, I mean, that makes sense. You know, you, you only make that change um, if you've thought about it and this is a plan. And clearly they would have spoken about it in team meetings and uh, Mendy would have been aware of it and, and Kepa would have been aware of what was going on as well. But, like, I think if you're the supposed penalty expert and you fucking get out of the way of 11 penalties and then smash yeah. one over the bar. I mean, it's... I don't quite know how um, to explain it. I mean, Mendy must be sitting there this morning going like, what the fuck? Like, I would have stopped uh-huh. one of them at least. I would have gotten near one of them, surely. And, yeah. you know... Kepper only really got near one. He got his hand to one. Um, yeah, late on. Out, quite late, wasn't past it? Yeah. it? almost, but... I mean, of course, we all know what Mendy should have done, and that's refused to come off, which is what Kepa did to uh, oh, Sarri, yeah. didn't he, a few years back. Oh, yeah. That would have it been was, fucking It was exactly amazing. that situation. I think it was, was it Caballero, maybe? Willie Caballero? Maybe so, yeah, yeah, yeah. They wanted to bring on for the shootout, and Kepa refused. Um, yeah, and then, you know, it kind of comes full circle. He comes on for Mendy, and you have to say, loses Chelsea the shootout. <laughs> I mean, listen, I, I won't shed any tears over that. Oh, no. No, no, no. I mean, uh, as I said in the blog this morning, I hope that somehow this, you know, this decision that, that Tuchel made and Mendy's potential disgruntlement with everything will spread like some kind of blight through the Chelsea squad um, <laughs> <laughs> until it just reaches, you know, the point of no return and they become, well, I don't know what, but just I hope it all goes wrong for them from here. Um, because it's a moment, isn't it, in a season where, you know, it's a trophy and you're in a final and losing in a final is rarely a good thing in the sense that um, like you don't just brush it off even if you want to downplay the significance of the trophy or whatever it is you don't brush it off and I know Chelsea have won lots and they're experienced and all that kind of stuff but they've won about three this year haven't they or something you know they've won the kind of European and club World Cup-y type things Um, so I think they'll get over it but I I do think it stings losing to another Premier League club you know I think that that is in a domestic cup to mm. a rival 
Uh, I do think it will hurt them. I mean, you know, people are looking at their league position and wondering if it could be vulnerable. And there are things that aren't working at Chelsea. I mean, Romelu Lukaku didn't start yesterday. He came on, uh, had a pretty disjointed game, spent a lot of time offside when he didn't need to be. Um, you know, they're not in the greatest of shape. But uh, listen, I'm, I'm, my eyes are fixed firmly on fourth place. Yeah. So I don't want to look too far about that. I'll get a nose blue. I mean, they have... Um, I mean, if we win... We were on 24 points, 45, Chelsea 25, 50. So we could be, if we win our game, game in hand, hand. So we could be with two points. Yeah, two points two of points them. Off. And then... Um, and we've, we've, we've still got to, got to go to Stamford Bridge. Yeah. You know, which yeah. will be three points in the bag. Of, of course. course. No problem. No problem. Martinelli's um, going to run from his own goal line to score in that game. Yeah, and hopefully just every single Chelsea player slips over. Every single one of them. Like a <laughs> yeah. sea of falling soldiers uh, just parting like um, like the sea for... Uh, who yeah. did and the sea parting? just as he approaches the penalty area, Edouard Mendy steps out of goal so Kepa can step in and then <laughs> Martelli, like, you know, rounds him four times. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. Or he just steps out of the way and lifts up his shirt to reveal a T-shirt saying, fuck Kepa. Uh, something like that. That would be that would be quite a good. picture of Virgil Van Dijk <laughs> yeah. and Kepa, Kepa Cowers in the corner of the goal. Speaking of goalkeepers, did you watch the um, the Aaron Ramsdale Cam? Yes, thing? Camsdale, Cam Aaron Camsdale. Someone uh, in the Arsenal social media team had a very bright idea to put a camera on Aaron Ramsdale for the entirety of that Wolves game. Yeah, it was good. I really, really liked his reaction to the goal that we conceded. Mm. Um, yeah, that, I thought that was, do you know what? I thought that was the most interesting part of it. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the celebrations are great and there's a quite a funny thing where you, he's sort of doing the Lacazette celebration dance, like half doing it to mm. himself in the goal. Yeah, you know, yeah, the yeah. Slinky yeah. walk. <laughs> um, but I do think the reaction to the goal was the most interesting thing. And, I, and I, I, particularly given that and I saw David Seaman saying this uh, on Ben Fozzy Fozcast's podcast the other day, that Ramsdale is someone who shouts at his defenders a lot. Yeah. You know? and, and Seaman was saying, you need to be a bit careful with that because at a certain point they stop listening. But I found it really interesting that when actually a big mistake has happened and a goal has been conceded, he has completely the opposite response to it. Yeah. You know, he doesn't shout at anybody and uh, is immediately sort of on Gabriel. Yeah, I think there's up. there's something to the shouting thing, obviously, but uh, it depends what that is. If it's communication, if he's talking to them, like they did one, um, do you remember they did a similar one for Matt Ryan yeah. during lockdown? It, was, lockdown, it yeah. was maybe the game at Aston Villa where we conceded that really scrappy goal in the opening couple of minutes and then we couldn't find a way through but he was talking all the time all the time and shouting at his defenders all the time in various languages in Spanish in English you know but talking to them telling them where he needed them to be telling them you know who was behind them um, all that kind of stuff so I think that that kind of shouting is obviously good but you know when you're uh, when something bad happens like conceding a goal and it was a sloppy goal to concede it was it was poor play uh, from the two central defenders I think um, you know the 
the reaction that he had was just to sort of keep them focused and, you know, give them a, an encouraging pat on the back or whatever it was. And I thought that was really, really interesting because, you know, you might feel as a goalkeeper that your defenders have kind of let you down there. If you're precious about your clean sheet, you might want to, you know, have a little bit of a pop at them. But um, it's an honest mistake. And I think it's it's quite interesting as well, the reaction that we had as fans to that mistake Mm. because go back in time not too far back in time not talking dinosaurs here but go back in the not too distant past and if our central defenders had contrived to concede a goal like that i think we would have been apoplectic as a fan base because the frequency with which those kind of mistakes happened with the defenders that we had is, um, you know, is hard to take. It's intolerable after a certain point. You know, you just can't take it anymore. It's, it becomes just impossible to look at these guys and, and think of them in any positive way. Whereas what we've seen from Ben White and Gabrielle this season has been so promising. Like the the partnership that they're developing is is really encouraging. Still some way to go, but they're both... 24 years of age. They're both still learning. Um, 24 is pretty young in the life of a central defender. And they've banked such an amount of goodwill based on what they've done for the most part this season that when the mistake happened, it's like, oh, that's careless. It's sloppy or whatever. But um, certainly not in my experience. I'm sure there were people out there doing this, but I didn't see them get like absolutely coated off on Twitter or, or anything like that. You know, I think there is a a sense that, okay, this was a mistake, but these guys don't make a lot of those mistakes. And I think that's really quite an interesting thing when you consider how traumatized we've been from uh, from our defending slash defenders uh, in recent years. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the phrase is credit in the bank, isn't it? I mean, we've really built that up over the course of the season. I mean, White and Gabrielle, think how much time they spend on the ball. Think how many passes they make in the course of the game. I can only really remember two that really got us in serious trouble. One was this Gabrielle one, which Huang scored from. Mm. The other was Ben White at Burnley. I don't know if you remember at Turf Moor. Uh, he went back to Ramsdale at short and a penalty was given and then overturned. Um, Ramsdale got a toe on it. Oh, and, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, do you yeah, remember? Yeah. And yeah. I think they're the only instances. And given that, playing out from the back and these kind of short passes in the defensive third is such a big mm. part of our game. It's pretty impressive, really, that we've we've come through, you know, in that way. But I also think that there's something about the attitude of the players that maybe means the crowd is a bit less inclined to get on their back. I mean, I think sometimes these reactions are cumulative. But yeah. Without wishing to dig out an individual, you know, I do remember times when oh, our centre-halves would make a mistake and maybe they would throw their hands up or sort of accusingly point at a teammate or something yeah, like we, that. We and know you just, who you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you just don't really see that from this group to the same extent. Yeah. And I thought that was evident in the immediate aftermath of that moment. Um, maybe that's easier when things are going well, you know, and I accept yeah. that. Yeah, but, but, but when things are going well, it means that you've got a a team that isn't making that many mistakes as well. You know, it kind of works 
exactly. It, it works yeah. both it's ways. So self fulfilling, and and um, yeah, I, I actually thought, to be honest, I've I've rewatched the game since, and I thought it played into Gabriel's performance a bit. I didn't think he had his uh, his best game in general. Certainly in the point. first half, yeah, he was. Yeah, he had his moments. But that's kind of understandable, I think. And I was really delighted for him that Arsenal won that game mm. and that it can sort of be compartmentalised as it should be, you know, put in a box and yeah. pretty much forgotten about because it was a, an aberration of the sort that he really has not produced with any kind of regularity this season. By and large, he's been excellent. Yeah, that's true. And I think Arteta made a comment afterwards as well, didn't he, where he said, I like when somebody can make a mistake and the team reacts positively to it, and we never talk about that mistake again. Which, you know, I don't think that's necessarily uh, necessarily the case. I don't think Gabriel like needs to be told. Doesn't need to have like two hours of intensive video coaching to look at that mistake to figure out what he did wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it, it's not necessarily that, but it is one of those moments where I think when you are a, a central defender and still quite a young one, both of them still 24. So they're, they're in uh, central def- uh, defender terms, relatively young. These are moments that you, um, you learn from and you take stuff away from. And, um, it's about concentration as much as anything else, isn't it? Just a reminder that if you do switch off even a little bit at premier league level mistakes, in your own final third, are going to get punished. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, you know. But but the the more positive thing, obviously, is the reaction that we showed and the way that we, the way that we found a way to win that game that I don't think we would have done last season. There were too many games where we went behind and couldn't find a goal, let uh, an equalizer, let alone a winner. And it's another thing where look, you don't want this to to be how you win most of your games. You don't want to go behind and then have to like keep scrapping and keep scrapping. But knowing that you can do it is a good thing. And actually, Arteta's comment afterwards, he was asked, would you have preferred to win this game convincingly or win it like you won it? And he said, I think win it like we won it because you you take so much away from it. And then, of course, it was that record where we hadn't won a game when we were uh, trailing at halftime and come back to win a game. So I think he wanted to get that out of the way. But that's another interesting thing to consider, isn't it? That the energy uh, that is created by the pressure that you put on, the tactical changes you make, the effort and endeavor of the players, and the just the the outpouring of everything between players, fans, staff, stadium all of it, that energy is considered or certainly something that Arteta considers really valuable. Yeah, I think so. And it, 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 the injection of kind of momentum and belief that it gives you does have a real value. And Arsenal, you know, they triumphed over adversity and it's not just their record of having, uh, you know, not come from behind in the second half. It's Wolves' record. Wolves had an outstanding mm. record in games where they took the lead. And I think... You know, Arsenal would have been well aware of that, and yeah, I, I thought it was a. It would have been very easy for that early goal to kind of derail them, and you reflect as well. I mean, I remember Arteta's comments about Ramsdale saying he watched footage of when Sheffield United conceded mm. goals, and they conceded plenty last season to see how they respond. And I think that attitude is reflected in a lot of these outfield players as well. I. I you know, I, I had the pleasure of watching it 
um, knowing the result, yeah. I cannot imagine how stressful it was. <laughs> it was exhausting. Uh, it was exhausting. Yeah. I was, I was wrecked. Absolutely yeah. wrecked at the end of that game. Yeah, I mean, across the two Wolves games, it's you know we've all aged a few years, I suspect. Um, mm. But we come through it really strong, and it's it's been a a very good, a very very good month for Arsenal, um, and. I think one that we needed, you know, I think for lots of reasons, January felt like a bit of a, a, a buffeting. Yeah. Um, January wasn't good. January wasn't no. good, obviously. Um, January's never good, really, is it? January's not I a nice month. No, but like when you look at the, yeah, three defeats, two draws in January, I know that only um, two of those games were in the Premier League and a couple of uh, three were cup games, but still not nice to have the L's and the D's when you're looking no. at the results and I prefer the uh, the W's uh, which we've got you know and, and to beat Wolves twice and like I can't say I paid a great deal of attention to Wolves this season mm-hmm. um, but I'm you know quite impressed by them even if I think you know some of their tactics came back to bite them uh, a little bit with, with regards time wasting and things like that but they are a good team they're a good team, and they've got some some uh, very interesting players as well. Um, so to take six points from them this season, particularly given their uh, their position in the league table, is very impressive from our part. Yeah, I mean they went to Old Trafford and won. They went mm. to White Hart Lane and won. They've taken a lot of points off teams immediately around us. They are one of the teams immediately around us, and I agree they've got a great production line of talent I mean everyone knows about their mm. you know network uh, and their links to uh, Jorge Mendes but um, yeah some really exciting players there I mean Neto who's just coming back I think is excellent I think uh, Ruben Neves as much as he's irritated us all he's a very <laughs> fine midfield player yeah um, I thought Huang looked interesting as well the other night they, they, yeah they've always got good young, good young players in. yeah I think um Six points. I mean, look, four would have been pretty good. Six is excellent. It really is. Um, I suppose one thing that didn't get discussed a great deal was um, the absence of Takahiro Tomiyasu. Yeah. Um, He was back in the squad for the the previous game against um, Brentford, but has an issue with his other calf. I don't know if that's good or bad. I mean, obviously it's bad that he's injured, but is it better that he's got a fresh injury or would, you know... Uh, should we be more worried if he'd aggravated the existing injury? I don't know. I, I heard about it on the day, um, minutes after I'd published a profile about Tommy Asu uh, coming back into the team. It's all your it fault. Nice. <laughs> yeah, Captain Jinx <laughs> strikes again. Um, and I have to say, it, it wasn't good news, as in I was sort of told... Mm. This is a substantial setback um, uh. and could miss, you know, a couple of weeks. Um, obviously, I hope that's wrong and I hope he's back ASAP. But it is, I think, a significant blow as well as Cedric has done. I mean, we shouldn't forget how important and how good Tommy mm. Asu has been. And there are some tough tests on the horizon. Yeah. Um, Particularly, you know, when we start going away from home, you know, you really would like the solidity, the reliability that he provides. Even just the height, I think, is valuable on that back post. So we'll have to wait and see if proper update from the club. But uh, 
I, I'd buy at the moment. I'd be surprised if he faced Watford this weekend for sure. Yeah, I reckon it's usually what two or three weeks if you have a yeah. a muscle tear. So calf strain. Um, yeah, may outside chance of Leicester. Maybe I guess. Yeah, um, they might be looking at that Liverpool game on the sixteenth of March and thinking. Let's try and get him ready for that because um, he's missed a fair chunk of football now. He has, hasn't he? Um, I'm just trying to think because he was out and then he came back. So he he played against Man City mm. and then we brought him back for the for the game against Liverpool um, on the 20th of January. So in the last two months... In January and February, he's played two games. Mm. He didn't play it all over the um, the festive period, and I know a couple of games are cancelled there as well. So, yeah, it is a bit it's, of a worry. It's interesting, isn't it? Because um, he, he physically he's adapted so well to the league. You know, his power and his athleticism is not in question. Um, but maybe, but you do have to remember he is coming from a background of playing in Belgium and then in Serie A. It's a very different degree of intensity, and maybe it was to a certain extent inevitable that um, physically he might mm. hit a bit of a barrier. Also, maybe it won't be the worst thing. You know, maybe it will have effectively acted as a kind of winter layoff for mm. him, and we'll get a refreshed Tomiyasu in the second half of the season. I know that as much as he has. Um, uh, as much as he has sort of thrived in the Premier League, I know he's found it very demanding as well. Mm. And it's interesting, like, you know, this is a guy who can play centre-back, but one of the things that I did hear about him is that he says he's quite relieved that he's not playing centre-back, that he's going through this physical adaptation playing as a right-back because wow. the the intensity of the one-to-one challenges in the centre... Uh, is so high in the Premier League that he's actually more comfortable for, for now while he's acclimatising on the right. That is quite interesting because I would have thought that playing fullback would Stamina be... Stamina demands are much Yeah, higher. yeah, yeah. It'd be much more demanding. Um, but I think um, I think it's the, the, power, the power element, you know. Mm. But, yeah, I, I, I think he's been a really good signing and I can't wait to have him back I, I do think Cedric deserves some credit for the way in which he's deputised and I think the fact the team is functioning mm. so much better has helped him kind of fit in relatively yeah. seamlessly but you know um, yeah I'm, look, I'm looking particularly at maybe the Leicester game, the Liverpool game um, even Villa away you know they've got some good forward players it'd be great to have Tommy Asu back by yeah then. it sure would um Shall we take a break here? Yeah. Um, let's take a break. We've got some questions. There's been some uh, an announcement from the club uh, about season tickets and season ticket prices. So as a season ticket holder, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll ask you about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got more questions as well that we'll do in, in part two. So hang tight. We'll be right back right after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? 
Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer the questions that you sent to us on Twitter, at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog, and also on the ArsBlog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an ArsBlog member on Patreon. You can do that at patreon.com forward slash ArsBlog. Um, so I mentioned the season ticket prices. Um, Benjamin Brooks, who's at bearded underscore chap on Twitter, uh, he says, goodly birthday, blah, blah, blah. Thank you very much. Um, Arsenal are expected to post significant losses over the next day or so. How much of this will be optics and perception and or how much will it, will it have a material impact on our summer business? And just to sort of go over the a couple of the the things with the um, season ticket, Arsenal say, after holding general admission ticket prices flat for seven consecutive seasons, all season tickets and match day tickets will be going up by 4% for season 2022-23. So yeah, you're a season ticket holder. Your uh, initial reaction to a price rise. Uh, I never want prices to go up. (laughs) It's my basic reaction. Um, I, it's expensive to watch Arsenal and, um, yeah, I, I you know I'm I'm disappointed. I don't want it to happen. Um, I I understand, of course, the financial context around it. Um, but you know it, it's 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 frustrating. I think because what does it gain Arsenal to raise tickets by four percent? I think we're talking somewhere between two and three million pounds over the course of a season. Um, when you place that in the context of the club's commercial revenues, mm. it's small fry. And at a time where, you know, we're still coming out of the pandemic, a lot of people are feeling the pinch. Uh, you know, uh, utility bills in the UK are about to skyrocket in mm. April. Uh, the cost of living here is is going up uh, substantially. Food and things like that are very expensive at this point in time. The UK, kind of need that. yeah, um, it will hit people in the pocket, and I don't want to see that happen. So, uh, yeah, it's it's disappointing. It's disappointing. Mm. I think. What do you think? I mean, does is that fair? What I'm saying? No, I think it's it's absolutely fair. I do wonder what the what the I mean, two or three million sounds like a pittance, really, in the grand scheme of things. 
Yeah. Um, but it's clearly not when you think about it. It's, you know, two or three million pounds. Um, people yeah, might and say... I think if, what the club would say is... Um, in fact, I, I'm, I think what they have, the case they have made privately is that I could say it's well, three million this year, but, you know, they... Uh, you know, they previously held the prices for seven years. They've given no guarantees they'd do that again. But let's say it's over the next five years, of course, that's 15 million quid. Mm. And suddenly that begins to have a bigger uh, role in, in budget. It sounds like more substantial revenue. Mm. Um, but, yeah. I, 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 and I think what will be interesting is the financial results that follow this, the context it places it within. I mean, Arsenal are going to lose a huge amount of money. Why do you think you know? they announced the season ticket price rise before announcing the losses? Because that might have in some way have, if not mitigated it, but made... Um, made it easier to understand why they made the decision. So if they announced, like, we've lost £150 million, so one of the consequences of that is we're going to have to raise season ticket prices where, you know, we don't like it, but, you know, this is the world that we're living in right now, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not saying people would would um, appreciate it or, or like it, but they might understand it. Yeah, I don't know why they've done that. I, I thought they might do it together. I thought right. they might say, look, we've lost over 100 million quid. Um, I mean, what's interesting is season tickets uh, have not been a good revenue stream for them, you know, during the pandemic, because obviously the, <laughs> the stadiums weren't full. So yeah. I wonder if for fans it will feel all the... I don't know if that will make cushion the blow or not, that they haven't really... Mm been paying out what they would expect to for season tickets over the past couple of years or will it feel like more of a shock to the system I mean I'm just looking at the numbers the club are putting out now the average season ticket price um, currently is about £1,200 £1,219 mm. if Arsenal qualify for the Champions League next season the increase on that will be £49 mm. now the weird thing is people's tickets may actually be cheaper next season because there's a cup credit um, held over from this season because we went out of the cups early, oh, particularly yes, of the course. FA Cup. Because there were, uh, what is it, seven cup games? Is yeah, still- something like that. Mm. So, so most people are due, I think everybody's due some sort of cup rebate, which in many instances will actually be bigger than the price increase. Um, so people's season tickets, despite this 4% rise, may be cheaper next year than this. Um, but that says more about, I think, Arsenal's underperformance in the Cups. Mm. But again, it does cushion the blow. I, I think, like, I listen, I feel fortunate. I can live with this price hike. Uh, I can still afford my ticket. Um And I will pay it because Arsenal have me hostage in my heart. <laughs> But yeah. at the same time, I'm always going to come down on the side of the fans. I don't want to see ticket prices increase. Mm. If anything, I want to see them go down as the club's commercial revenues, TV revenues continue to soar. I feel like fans in the stadium should be the people feeling the benefit. Of yeah, that. but that never happens. Ticket prices never come down. Even if your commercial revenue rises, commercial revenue is... Um, 
tied in with success in a way. So the more that you can generate from commercial revenue by sponsorship and advertising and partnerships and all that kind of stuff is in part due to what you're doing on the pitch. And if you've got a really good team, then the tickets rather than go down, become even more valuable, if you know what I mean, because people want to see a good team and a winning team. I mean, there are some discounts. Um, They say here, a new discount of 25% is being introduced for general admission season ticket holders uh, between 19 and 21. Canon members age 17 and 18 already benefit from 57% discount. We will improve access for junior gunners 16 and under to attend matches with red members in the family enclosure, still at a 66% discount, enabling more young fans to come to matches. So um, I think you and other people have pointed out this season that the demographic inside the 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 stadium and also with the away support has changed a little bit. It feels like a younger crowd. Yeah, and I was chatting to someone uh, from the box office uh, not long ago about how many fans this season took a season ticket holiday. Mm. You know, people were offered the opportunity to not uh, take up their season ticket this year, and that led to a whole collection of new fans who'd maybe been waiting for the opportunity to get to go to games regularly, getting the chance to have a season ticket this season. And I do wonder as well how much that fresh blood, those fresh faces have kind of well, literally mm. rejuvenated um, the support base and brought a new energy. And it's been a really positive energy. Of course, that's helped by the team too and what's happened on yeah. the pitch. Um, but I, I personally, I think that 25% discount for 19 to 21-year-olds, I think that's quite important. Like if I think back to when I was kind of that age, if yeah. I'd been offered a season ticket at full price then, like that 25% off, it could make the difference. Like, it's still expensive, you know, it's yeah. still very steep and difficult. But um, I think it's really important that we keep the next generations of people who are going to fill this ground coming in. Um, so get I think they, that get is the a, new ones hostage in their hearts. Exactly. So they can take money off them for the next 40 years of their yeah. life, whatever it is. Um, <laughs> They can bleed then. I mean, the thing is, like, if I was sat here in, like, full journalist mode, like, I can I can make the arguments for this rise and I can, I can illustrate why, you know, the club's been severely hit in its revenues and it needs to do what it can to be competitive and, you know... Spent a lot of money on players. Spent a lot of money on players. We've seen the benefit of that. 4% in context, uh, 4%. It doesn't feel too crazy. It's been seven years, as the club point out. I can make all those points, mm. but as a fan, I'm always going to say, don't put the ticket prices up. And yeah. I don't think I'm ever going to be able to divorce myself from that. Yeah. Uh, they do say, we will be investing in improving Emirates Stadium. This includes a major refurbishment of the roof, new big screens, turnstile readers to speed up entry, and the wraps outside the stadium. So, um, well, I'll be interested to see, yeah, exactly what comes of that because I do think, you know, I like the Emirates a lot, but I think, as we've said before, there are ways in which it could be improved. And um, it sounds like the club are very committed to doing that. Mm. Let's see what they I mean, come up with. I guess that would be relatively expensive work as well. It's in the millions, for sure. Yeah, Yeah. you know, because uh, it's not like you're going down to fucking 
Ted the Tyler and getting him to get some knockoff fucking slates on your roof. You know, it's not quite that. And these... they've, they've got a video of us singing the time of their life already. All they need to do is project <laughs> that onto the stadium. How much is a projector? A couple uh, hundred quid. Yeah. Job done. Job done. That's it. <laughs> I mean, how, how much does a giant TV cost? How much do big screens cost? I mean, they must be a lot. I mean, you can't go to yeah. Harvey Norman and get a fucking... No, I, I have seen it quoted as being in the millions, the mm. renovations. Um, so again, you know, that's got to be paid for. Mm. I suppose when we see the full financial results, it will be interesting to place, you know, that couple of million quid that Arsenal get from this price rise in context, in proper context. Yeah. And, and I am curious about the fact they've done it in this order. I'm sure they must have their reasons, but I do think laid in the context of the scale of the losses the club suffered during the pandemic, whether it might have seemed a bit more palatable. Um, mm. We shall see. Good time, I guess, to get it out as well. The, the, the club are, you know, the, there's a lot of goodwill, isn't there, right now, off the back of the Wolves game. So I think sneaking this out at this point is probably yeah. not the worst thing. No, yeah. I mean, it's a difficult one to swallow at the best of times, but, um, you know, yeah. when, when things have been going pretty well, um, well, we'll wait and see um, what the reaction is. I haven't seen any reaction. I'm sure the the fan groups will have um, been aware of this yeah, coming, and so I'm, I'll read what they have to say. And they've been pushing against it, you know. Of course, and they've yeah, been asking for guarantees of that this won't happen the following year, and you know, or for a certain period of time. Mm. Um, unsuccessfully, ultimately, you know, the club have taken this decision uh, that they're going to do it. Um, and they've done it and, and and I suppose the tricky thing is I may be wrong about this but if this club qualifies for Europe next season those tickets will just disappear do you know what I mean the, the demand supply is, and demand they're the rules and demand is probably as high right now as it's been for some time because people want to watch this team yeah well I hope that continues obviously um, you know the, the success of the team plays a part in all of this and uh, yeah. hopefully they can continue their progress do you want to uh, move on and get a, a couple of questions yeah let's get into the other questions sure um, uh, bu -bu -bu -bu. by the way I've just got a shout out this guy Highbury JD sent in a question the question was, when small clubs try and provoke the Arsenal into a rivalry, should we respond with sensible maturity and just ignore them? And then he's added a clip of, uh, of the firework over Emirates Stadium saying, <laughs> here's a slow-mo of the firework I set up for the post-Wolves celebrations. <laughs> I, I believe it was actually uh, Highbury JD's wife who set the firework off on full time I as mean, a pre-planned event. You've got to give huge... <laughs> kudos to that because it looked for some time like that firework uh, was not going to go off they must have been in the back garden or whatever going oh Jesus Christ <laughs> yeah. can you imagine when the Lacazette goal went in and they're like yes we've won the game but also where's the matches <laughs> <laughs> yeah very funny I just uh, think a solitary firework um, it was a big one funnier it was a big, a big one. one. It was a big one, wasn't it? it might have been it one, but it was, you know, certainly a powerful, a powerful rocket. Not quite. Like, I enjoyed it. Like I said, I think we should make it a tradition every time Wolves come to the Emirates, have uh, Mrs. Highbury JD on standby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> or just give you know Aaron Ramsdale a Catherine wheel and a box of matches. He could just set it off on the pitch. Yeah, he would as well, probably. Um, but let's have mm. another question. Oh, I thought this was interesting. Christian Blick said, "Hello, blogs. Uh, Ramsdale cam was great. We've had our Teta, Odegaard, and Tini cam. Which player would you like to have next?" That is a good question. I think maybe. I think maybe Thomas Party for me. Mm. Because we talked about this on Friday, actually. Um, maybe myself and Ryan, we were talking a bit about Party, and uh, or maybe it was with you on last week's show. I can't quite remember. Um, but you know, he made the comments over Christmas or just around the new year where he rated himself four out of 10. Um, yeah. And since then, he's been not four out of 10 at all. He's been much, uh, much higher than that. But I would like to see that aspect of him because, you know, it's um, you you and many of the people listening to this will have uh, seen him live and in person and playing in the stadium. Whereas I think it's hard really to get a, a true measure of a player until you see them play live in a stadium. Um you, you see aspects of their game and the way that they approach certain scenarios, which which rounds out your um, knowledge of the player, I think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I would like to see that. Um, I'd like to see how he operates in tandem with the, the central defenders, but also the two midfielders who are now ostensibly ahead of him. Um, and I mean positionally, you know, with Martin Odegaard and, and, and Granit Xhaka on the other side. Um, I'd love to watch how he plays a game. Um, I thought he was very, very good against Wolves on Thursday night. So to to have that, um, yeah, to have that footage of him in in that scenario, I'd be really fascinated to look at it. Yeah, I think that's a great shout. I think he's been excellent of late. Um, I I would go for Lacazette. Actually, I just think. He he's involved in so much in the game, and so much of it is mm. kind of slightly niggly off the ball stuff. <laughs> that I would be curious to follow that for ninety minutes um, and just see like the the highlights, his attempts to win free kicks and penalties, and uh, very difficult as we discussed earlier as an Arsenal player to do those things. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I just think some of the kind of one-to-one -one collisions he gets involved in could be entertaining. And also because he's the captain and he's quite vocal, mm. you know, I think that would be uh, quite compelling. That'd be viewing. quite a good one. Saka it's too always is interesting, one. to be honest. Mm. Saka, yeah. 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 Just as a series of clips of him being kicked up in the air, I imagine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, no punishment. Yeah, referee time to get up, get up, get up. Um, here's a question. Dean Van Wynn says, having lost the first three games, top four always seemed unlikely for Arsenal. Now they're arguably favourites for fourth. Do you worry about the effects of this pressure on a group that doesn't have too much experience in this situation, i.e. trying to reach their goal in a league format? Hmm. We've spoken about pressure before and, mm. you know... I I believe that this group is a very emotional group and it pressure, we don't know how that's going to affect them. The only thing I would say is that there is something to be said for kind of the bravery and naivety of youth in these circumstances. You know, they're not haunted by failure. 
in the way that some players might be encumbered. Mm. Um, I always think that about the Euros final. Uh, I was reflecting on Saka. I think I was listening actually to your pod, your 2021 pod with Elliot. Right. Who, uh, summarising 2021 as part of the big Ask Blog 20 release the other day. And part of the discussion was about Saka um, and how brilliantly he's kind of responded to what was a kind of harrowing moment potentially in yeah. the Euros final where he missed that penalty. And I, and I really believe that Gareth Southgate um, picked young players in that shootout because he believed that with that youth would come a certain resilience, that it would weigh less heavily on them than it would on someone near the end of their career who thinks, I'm never going to get another chance. And, you know, mm. we can debate whether or not that's the right call. But I think Saka has kind of shown uh, an ability to kind of shrug it off almost and and refocus and go again. And I, I do think there is a kind of resilience in youth, a fearlessness that could equally be to our advantage in this home straight. Um, mm. Hard to say. What, what do you think about that? I think, look, you can have concerns, but these are these are the things that you have to do as a top-level professional sports person. You have to be able to cope with pressure. You have to be able to cope with expectation. Um, you have to be able to make progress, which I think this mm. team is doing. Um, so, I, you know, I'm worried because some of them are still young and they haven't necessarily been around the block as much as you might like. But I'd rather them be in this position where, you know, maybe you find out about one or two of them that they're not quite there yet or they won't ever be there whatever it might be but you've got to learn those lessons you've got to learn those mm. lessons and you've got to be in these situations these scenarios um where there is pressure based on the stakes when the stakes are high that is the very top of you know what you what you play the game for and what you're in the game for and why you're a, a professional sports person you know um so i think bring it on um I, I still kind of make United favourites. Mm. Um, although Dropping they have points played, they again at the weekend against Watford. Uh, maybe incredible they didn't win that game. They had lots of opportunities. Yeah, but maybe because... Yeah, I forgot about that, actually. So they've played, what, three games more than three us? Three games and more, yeah. yeah so. And their next... Have you seen their next three league fixtures? No. Their next three league fixtures are... I want to get this right because it's pretty daunting. Man City away, mm. Tottenham at home, Lads, Liverpool Tottenham. away. I mean, they might get something off those teams, but I'd be staggered if they're taking maximum points. Yeah. and then, Especially with City and Liverpool going hell for leather in the title race. And know? they've got a game against... Um, Atletico, Atleti in between Atletico Spurs Madrid and in the middle of that. So, so this is a crucial period for them, and those what that Watford game that they needed that for some breathing space. Um, may their legs fall off and their hearts be broken. That's all I can say. <laughs> it, it, it's interesting, though. You know, I, I, I take a lot of heart from what you just said because you you said we might find out about one or two of these players that they're not quite there yet when the pressure's on. Mm. 
But I sort of think that will be painful and it will be difficult. But if that is what we learn, how nice that it's they're not there yet, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Rather than they're never going to be good enough. You know, if we, if we, I hope we succeed desperately, but if we fail, I think almost whatever happens, we've got a better chance next season because of the age of this team. Mm. And that is a very good position to be in. I, I, yeah, I agree. I agree. And we've got a big chance. We've got a big chance. Really and, do, and, yeah, and uh, yeah. you know, we've got maybe an opportunity that realistically, maybe the players didn't think they would have. So I wonder, is it, I think there's some pressure, but it isn't necessarily expectation. Is it expectation at this point? Would it be wrong to expect Arsenal to finish in the, in the top four? Like I want them to, obviously, uh, I think we could make real progress that way. Um, do we recalibrate what we expect from this team based on what we've done for the majority of the season, leaving aside those those opening three games? Yeah, I think we should. You know, we yeah. have to update um, expectations accordingly. Um, I have to say, I have to do this because... Gunnar MCC on the Discord said, did you see the salty Man U reporter who said whoever gets fourth has got it by default? And I don't know if you saw this, but... No, I didn't. Samuel Luckhurst, I don't know if there's any affiliation with Man U or not. Oh, yeah, Chief Manchester United writer for Manchester Evening News. Quite a strong affiliation there. Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) And Samuel said, whoever ends the season in fourth will have done so by default. Those who miss out might be closer to the bottom than the top. Will be fairer for the top three to qualify for the Champions League. And I just what? think that's such a load of shit. I'm so tired of people saying, nobody wants fourth. It's like, are you aware of Arsenal and what we've been doing? Since <laughs> since we lost those first three games at the start of the season, we've had, I'd say, two minor blips. One where we lost to City and Everton, mm. United and Everton in the space of the week. January, we had two league games where we didn't win all right, we played very well against Man City and drew with Burnley. Other than that, I think we've been pretty consistent in the league and we've had to be to climb from 20th, rock bottom, negative goal difference mm. to one of the favourites for the top four. Yeah, yeah. And if we get it, it's a hell of a recovery and absolutely deserved. Yeah, absolutely. It is not because... Um somebody else threw it away it's because of what we will have done on the pitch you know yeah it's i I just think it's a ludicrous argument i mean listen i i I can see why they're saying it from a manchester united perspective because if united fail to get top four given their investment given their position given where they were last season that is a big failure Mm. but for us as a team who coming from uh, i hate to say it but eighth or whatever it is um and the start that we had if we get it, it will be something certainly worth celebrating. Yeah. Remember, and United finished second last season. So Exactly, yeah. And they bought Ronaldo, you know, and they bought Sancho and they bought Rafael Varane. They were supposed to be pushing on and challenging mm. for the league. And, you know, yeah, it's... Um, I mean, Daniel Zakiri replied to the tweet, actually, and it was I thought it was such a good reply. He said, absolute dreck based on sour grapes. Arsenal have won seven of their last nine league games and have been chugging along at close to two points per game since Boxing Day 2020. 
our team's not as good as the best three in Europe considered shit now. And yeah, yeah. I just think um, it's it's really pissing me off actually because <laughs> Spurs and United keep dropping points. This idea of like nobody wants fourth. We really want fourth. Yeah, and did, we play like a team that wants fourth. Exactly. Did you watch the game the other night when we scored in the 96th minute? You know, we kept yeah. going right until but the end. But do we want it, Andrew? No. No one wants it. No one wants fourth. <sighs> pissing me off it's fine it's fine let them yeah uh sleep on us and we'll yeah we'll yeah hopefully hopefully, nick it. hopefully i mean on that fleds on the discord said with wolves dropping points who is actually our biggest rival for fourth place man united or west ham <laughs> i like the emission the complete emission of tottenham Hotspur. who uh, <laughs> um Unfortunately, they ran into a, a lead side in absolute disarray this weekend. Oh. Although I have to say, I have to say, I'm sorry to see Bielsa go. I, I do, you know, there's a lot of kind of identikit coaches in mm. this league and a lot of games can feel the same. And I have enjoyed, if Leeds are on telly, I'll watch them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I know there's what a, you mean. And um, There's so, a yeah, sort of and, mad chaos to their to their matches. Yeah, he is a maverick and I admire that. And and actually, although in the Premier League and this season they've had a lot of injuries, they've been somewhat chaotic. When you look at the squad he inherited and what he did in the championship, the team he turned them into, it was quite a remarkable achievement. And so, yeah, fair play to him. But yeah. Well, I mean, we also have to spare a thought for the uh, bucket makers uh, of Leeds who will now yeah, go out sure, of business. the bucket merch. Yeah. Um, and we have to thank him as well because they were an absolute mess when we played them at Ellen Road, weren't they? I mean, wow. Uh, the sort of writing was on the wall at that point in some respects. They were all yeah. over the I mean, they were missing quite a lot of players. I think they've had some and, big and injuries this season as well, haven't they? Season. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They haven't had Bamford, haven't had Phillips. But anyway, mm. West Ham beat Wolves, didn't they? That was... Uh, did they? Have I got that right? 1-0 for West Ham? Yeah, I think it was at the right. weekend. Um, so that's a big blow to Wolves. They've lost to Arsenal and West Ham in the space of a week. They're still right up there because their form's been good. I think I'm with you. I, I, I think, I, I, honestly, I don't want to say it. Actually, I do think Spurs are probably the most dangerous. Um, United have got played three more times than us. And when we look at those fixtures they've got coming up, mm. could be dropping more points. Spurs... Only one game more than us. Uh, only three points be between. We have to go to uh, their ground, whereas we host United at the Emirates. They're super inconsistent, though, aren't they? Spurs. Yeah. Like, Almost I'm looking and hide. Loss, win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, loss, win, loss, win. You know, that's their last, whatever. Um, 10 or 12 fixtures in all competitions. Mm. So there's an inconsistency there. I mean, I know what you mean. If they could find a measure of consistency, then they probably would be a threat given the manager and everything else. But even he seemed at the end of his fucking tether last week. Like, yeah, I mean, he's up and down. You never know what you're going to get from him. But mm. I think the other thing about them is their fixture list is a little bit easier than I think some of the teams around them. So... Uh, you know, they went to City, unfortunately, got a result there. They've, mm. they've got United away. They've got West Ham at home. But... Um, Joe Willock's going to score for Newcastle uh, to win 
That well, that's game. good. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's he's he started his thing now where he scores in every game, yeah. two and two for him. Yeah, that's it. Um, so, and maybe look, maybe it's just the Arsenal fan in me that fears, you know, would would hate to miss out to Tottenham. But I think they've got mm. they've got a good coach, you know, who if if they and they've got goal scorers, haven't they? They've got goal scorers. That is what they've got. They've got a, a very potent attack. And a very, very um, successful coach. But mm. everything else in between is not great. They are still Tottenham, though. Yes, that's it. So hope springs eternal. If we do our job, we'll be fine. You well, know? that's and it. That's it's in our hands. That's that's the reality. Um, here's, I thought, an interesting one from the Discord from Optimistic Gunner, who said uh, he wanted us to do a win-lose draw of the remaining games, but I think it's probably a bit too soon yet to bang out the predictor tron um yeah 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 we don't want to end up like uh, rio ferdinand and Owen hargreaves as well <laughs> do you know what I mean? he uh, says um i have a hunch that one of our reasons for poor sales is that no one trusted our coaches and training regime meaning players needed work or remolding when they arrived similarly uh, this is why teams trust even the cast-offs from Liverpool uh, and Chelsea as they know the hard work is done. Do you think the sparks from our homegrown youth will change this perception and start to bring in real money for our unwanted players as it's clear the coaching and training are now bang on the money? Well, certainly improving anyway. Um, I just thought that was quite an interesting idea. Mm. Yeah, I think... Well, look, I think perception of a club affects the price of a player. You know, if you're signing even a cast off from Liverpool, they're coming from the great Liverpool. You know, they've mm. they've got this education from Klopp, and um, they've been part of success. And there's a cachet yeah. attached to that, and there hasn't been a great deal of cachet around Arsenal of late. And I, I am optimistic that um, as we produce more academy players and and as we recruit within the Premier League as well, that that will result in a in a better resale value. Mm. The difficulty is the way the kind of market generally has sort of deflated. Um, you know, it's not a great time to be selling players, um, and so you know, I think we've got better at it just as it's got harder, probably, mm. uh, or, or we've we haven't got better at it, but we've got more. Uh, saleable assets at a time when you know f transfer fees are sort of on the wane a bit as a phenomena um, but yeah I, I think basically the success of the club does influence the price of a player um, I think that's a, a big part of it do you mm. think that's true? I think it is I think it is and um, you know we did have some decent sales when um, Arsene Wenger was kind of in his pomp you know um, yeah people you know the association that well you know if finger likes a player then he's got to be have something about him um exactly and exactly. and certainly the the success if you want to call it success i don't know a, a better word to use but of the recruitment that we had in the in the summer you know we've all been pretty happy with all the the signings that we've made to varying degrees i mean i still think um you know it's it's early days for uh, to make definitive judgments on players because we're halfway through a season. We've still got another half season to go and a lot can happen in that time. But, you know, I think there's something reassuring about the, the recruitment that we've made 
like most of those players, if you decided to sell them on now, you get more for for them than you would you uh, you paid. Assuming you do the sale at like the right time, and you're not trying to sell them with six months sure. left on their deal, you know. <laughs> yeah, and you're not paying them to leave with a year left on their deal. Instead. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Um, but I, I tell you what, I, I thought about a player. This is kind of apropos of nothing, but I thought about a player the other day. And I was like, wow, that's the outlier. That's the model. That's what we should have done more of. Do you remember when we sold Christian Bielik to Derby? We, he went for an initial seven and a half million. I think the fee yeah. ultimately was scheduled to rise to like over 10. And I, there was some hand-wringing at the time about, oh, yeah, we've let a young player go and what's he going to be? And, and unfortunately, he's really struggled with injuries since then. A couple then, of cruise but, or something, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Just- I think he's back playing now. I was sort of, you know, mulling over the Derby squad for one reason or another and saw him there. But, you know, that that's the kind of deal, that's an outlier, you know. That's the sort of thing we haven't done enough of. And if the reputation of our academy mm. continues to improve, maybe there'll be more like that down the line. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Um, I mean, Joe Willock, we got good money for Joe Willock. That was very good. And and, and, and wo- be, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, actually, the, the the best sales we've made have been players who've come out of our academy, yeah. um, you know, because we haven't paid for them in the first place as well. I guess. Yeah, well, that helps. It's all profit, really. Yeah. Um, what about this? Ivan Skiff says, if or Evan probably, um, if we get top four, do you think the club will reassess their summer transfer targets for central midfield and striker? Theoretically, being in the Champions League attracts a higher calibre of talent, which could really make this project go bang. And then they add, congratulations on 20 years. Love the show. So, so much. So, 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 so much. So, so much. It's a great show. Um, I mean, I think they're going to try and sell the idea of this developing team to any potential signings that they're going to make whether they've got Champions League or not, you know? I think that mm. will be the the sell to convince a player who maybe could or wants to play in the Champions League. Um, it'll be like, yeah, you can do it. You can do it, but come and be part of this team that's going to get there. Um, so I don't know that it's going to... It might make it easier to get some of the players that they've got their eyes on, but I don't think it will change the particular players, if that makes sense. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like they might have their eye on X striker who, you know, wants to go to a Champions League club at this point, but maybe, um, you know, what am I trying to say here? I've lost my train of thought completely. Um, Yeah, maybe you've got to convince him a bit more if you're not in the Champions League, if you've only got Europa League, let's say. But I think they will do their best to get the best possible player that they can for those positions uh, and clearly those are the well the one striker is the one one you know the number one and you can make a very good case for how um central midfield whether it's a replacement or whatever for Granit Xhaka in that role that Granit Xhaka is now being asked to play um which I think he did pretty well against Wolves the other night um mm that would be the secondary one for me. Still important, but behind the centre forward, obviously. Yeah, I'm not sure the targets will change that dramatically. I think that they will have been identified 
um, to be part of this uh, project mm. and that I don't think those criteria will shift dramatically. Um, so I imagine they probably will remain the same. What I do wonder is, like you say, will it be easier to make to persuade players to join? I think Champions League, Champions League football is obviously really attractive. It increases revenue as well, might increase what you're able to spend. Mm. I mean, that will be an interesting question. Like, if Arsenal make it to the Champions League, I wonder how many players have it in their contracts that they get a hike yeah. at that point. Or will you get a bunch of players looking to renegotiate? With some justification, I think. Um, mm. I think that there's going to be a lot of contract talks with Arsenal's existing squad this summer, um, especially if the club returned to Europe. Well, I mean, you would imagine that many of the contracts, uh, you know, a lot of the players are new. Um, yeah. Smith Rowe signed a new contract recently. Saka, his contract has got to be sorted this summer. There's no two ways about that. We can't have a, a situation where we're getting towards the final year of his contract. We just cannot have that. We've got to make sure we tie him down. But you would imagine that there is an incentivized, uh, uh, an incentives-based element to the contracts that these guys have signed. Mm -hmm. Like, here's your wages. Here's your wages if we get to the um, Europa League. Here are your wages slash bonus if we get back into yeah. the Champions League. Yeah, bonus payout. Yeah, exactly. But there was well. also, um, when the pay cuts were being pushed through, wasn't there some structure to that as well, where if we got into the Champions League, they'd only be cut X amount, and if we, yeah. you know, that kind of thing as well. So, yeah, I would say that there will be certainly a a, a cost, but presumably the accountants know what they're doing. And whatever revenue you get then from the Champions League is not completely swallowed up by the bonuses and, and wage um, increases you have to give out. No, no, I don't think so. But I do think that um, if Arsenal make top four and maybe even top six, that, that there'll be agents knocking on doors with slightly revised demands. Yeah. That's the nature of football. And um, I think there'll be a lot of work to be done, as I say, on, on the contract side with the existing squad as well as the signings. As for what top four changes, I, I do wonder if it might change... <sighs> I do wonder if, if if Arsenal had Champions League football to contend with, would there be a requirement to bulk out the yeah. squad a little more? Yeah, I think know? so. I do think so, because it's not like the Europa League um, where... You can't just put the kids you in. You can't just yeah. put the kids in in the group stages because you've got to get through the group stages and the calibre of opposition is going to be better. You know, I know the groups are seeded. I don't know what kind of seeding we would get having been out of the Champions League for... X amount of years and having not mm -hmm. been in Europe for uh, for this season, what kind of a, has yeah. taken a battering? So basically. what what kind of seeding would we be in? What kind of a group could we find ourselves in? So who knows? You could find yourself in a group with with I don't know Barcelona, Borussia Dortmund, and you know a, a decent club as well, um, which would make it difficult. Therefore, you've got to play your best team or something close to your best team in those games that also has a knock-on effect for um you know for the premier league as well there are there are issues with fatigue there are issues with injuries you will get more injuries if you play more games simple as that so yeah i think having the depth to be able to cope with european football 
and Premier League football because, you know, what you can't do is is make progress in the Premier League and then let it slip. You can't, mm. you know, you really have to work hard to to ensure that the the progress continues or you, you consolidate yourself, um, you know, it's not it's not really the case anymore, is it? That there's a top four or a big six. You know, there are other teams in there thereabouts now as well. Um, you know, we talked about Wolves. West Ham have been consistent for a couple of years under David Moyes. Um, mm-hmm. Until this season, Leicester were in the mix a little bit as well. Um, so it is going to become or going to remain difficult to consolidate your position and stay in the top four and stay in the Champions League, you know? And you don't want to, like, be flitting between uh, Champions League and Europa League, Champions League and Europa League. I mean, obviously, that's um, better than what we have right now, but you want to stay in the Champions League. So, yeah, you've got to... um, You've got to flesh out, I think. Is that what you said? Bulk up. Bulk up. Yeah, Yeah, I think so. I think so. We would need that, I think, to sustain... Because what would be terrible, uh, what would be a real shame would be if we did make the top four and the rigours of that European campaign, you know, sent us backwards in, on the domestic front. And mm. I think there's a risk of that. I really do. Um, if you're not ready, if you're not prepared, if you don't have the numbers. So I think that if Arsenal make the Champions League, I'm not sure it'll change who the targets are. It might change how many there are. Mm. Okay, let's do one more um, from Blade on the Discord. He says, who do you think will be our top three for goals and assists at the end of the season? Do you know what? I I don't really know who it is now. (laughs) It's a terrible confession to make, but because our goals sort of come from all over the place, I know it's Smith-Rowe, right? Smith-Rowe is the number one, number uh, top goal scorer, yes. He's got... uh, Ten. Right, nine in the league, ten, yeah, exactly. And then it's Saka, I assume? Yeah. He's got uh, eight, he's got... I think. Right, yeah, yeah. Annoyingly, I've got... Uh, I've only got, I think, league numbers in front I've got, of me. I've got all the numbers here. So Smith-Rowe is number one with ten. Saka with eight. Um, Aubameyang is our third highest scorer Who's so that? far. Who? <laughs> uh, he's got seven. Uh, which is about as many as he's got for Barcelona in the last week as well. I know. Uh, then Lacazette and Kedia with five each. Uh, all of Eddie's are in cup competitions. Uh, then Martinelli with four, Odegaard with four, Pepe has three, Gabriel three. And then there's some some onesers. We've got some onesers. Tierney, Partey, Callum Chambers and Charlie Patino um, are the other goal scorers. In, in terms of assists... Right. Um... The numbers I have are probably a bit skewed because I'm looking at transfer marked, and I think they include penalties one as an assist, which mm-hmm. it isn't really. But they have Lacazette on six, Pepe on five, Saka on four, Odegaard four, Martinelli three, Tierney three, Tavares two, Smith Rowe two, Cedric two, Aubameyang two, uh, and some onesies, El Nenny, Party, Maitland Niles. Uh, Tommy Yasu and Inkeri and even Granit Xhaka has got an assist to his name. Xhaka without a goal this season as well. Um, so yeah, I think it's fair to, I would say the top three goal scorers are going to be Smith, Rowe, Saka and probably Lacazette. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. Um, 
Martinelli's the only one who you could see breaking into that group, I think. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if he will surpass them. Assists. I mean, yeah. On that basis, I'm going to say I'm going to I'm going to keep Lacazette up in my three. Um, I, I just think you know he's involved in a lot in the final third, and naturally in that role is you know if it's Saka or Smith Rowe having the shot, there's a decent chance that um, that he's the guy laying it off. I think mm. Saka will be there too. But then the guy who I would say has got a real chance of pushing into that top three has got to be Martin Odegaard yeah. um, in terms of the creativity he offers and also set-piece set delivery. Um, yeah, I, I'd say I'd say Odegaard will be in there. But I might have Saka and Lacazette just ahead. What about you? I think it'll be Odegaard, Saka and, yeah, maybe Lacazette. Um Pepe's an interesting one as well, given how well he did the other night and what an impact yep. he had on the game. Um, quite interesting as well, coming after <clears throat> the the comments that Mikel Arteta made about mm. how he's seen a different Pepe and all that kind of stuff, which I think is just kind of talk um, from a manager in public about a player. Um, I mean, maybe he has. Um, I, I was... I, I, yeah, I mean... It- it's interesting after the game in fact before this Arteta said this in a TalkSport interview a few people had said to me you know Pepe really went above and beyond to play in this game um, oh yeah because he's um, he's a, a father a new, yeah, he's had a, a new, child a new a child new dad, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if he had one before but, um, and he'd missed training and a bit of a sleepless night uh, at least one and you know, he made it very clear he wanted to play. And, you know, that's a really positive thing. It, mm. it suggests that people want to be involved and he should absolutely want to be involved. But, um, yeah, I, who knows if he's turned a corner or, or if Mikel Arteta's just sort of trying to massage the, the best out of him. Mm. I mean, I think I'm right in saying the goal and assist uh he produced the other night were his first of each in the Premier League this season. He's barely played. Yeah. He really hasn't played. I think he's had five starts in the league, something like that. So, mm, timely. Yeah, five, 500 odd minutes, you know, which is it's not th- very much. less than a third of what Bakaya Saka's had. Um, so, very timely. And he, as you've pointed out many times, he tends to build momentum towards the end of the season. So, yeah, I, I think he'll make a contribution. Yeah, uh, whether or not be whether or not be enough to push into those top three, I'm not so sure. All right. Well, we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. It'd be nice if you know a couple of them went on some some streaks, some goal scoring streaks. I mean, uh, what do you think? Just before we go, it's not a question, but do you feel like? Even though it went down as an own goal, Lacazette will feel the benefit of that that ball nestling in the back of the net. I mean, it was you know his touch; it was his shot, which was miskicked. Mm. In fairness, mm. uh, so there's an element of good fortune to it. But it's so often the case that a striker, when they're going through a run of bad form, you know, gets a goal out of nowhere, and all of a sudden it takes the pressure off, and they feel. Um, you know they feel more comfortable or they're more decisive in front of goal whatever it is whatever the the the, the blockage is it's it's um 
you know, it's clear. Do you do you think that even though that's a, a sad own goal, Lacazette will really think, you know, that's my goal and it's it's kind of just been taken away from me? I do, and I, and I do think there are some positive trends. I mean, I, I think we spoke about this last week, you know. Um, he had chances against Wolves in the away game, the mm. one-on-one, the header from the Cedric cross. Uh, against Brentford, he had the ball in the net, but Shaka was offside. He had eight shots in this Wolves game, the home tie. Yeah. Which is, I think, I mean, pfft, I don't think many people have done that this season. I think only two other players have done that in any game. Now, granted, are they the best shots? No. <laughs> but, you know, uh, if you buy enough tickets, you might win the lottery. And, and, mm. and I think, I think we as a team are getting him into better goal scoring positions i also think it shouldn't be forgotten that he can finish i mean this is a you know when the circumstances are right he's a bit of a goldilocks finisher but he strikes the ball well and he can hit it cleanly i think with a bit of confidence there are a few goals in him i'm not saying he's going to turn into harry kane or you know anything like that but mm. mo salah but i, I do think he should be able to contribute between now and the end of the season. I hope he derives some confidence. I mean, it is a skewed finish uh, yeah. for the Wolves game. It's not going in. Um, and Jose Sarr, who's had an amazing season, has had two tricky nights, actually, against Arsenal. So we've got quite lucky there. But... I enjoyed uh, his reaction to the goal going in. It was one of those <laughs> that I watched over and over again. <laughs> and it kind of yeah. makes... Like, I've got it right here in front of me. <laughs> I was just really? watching it before we started recording. And here's Lacazette and the ball, and it goes in. And he's <laughs> he looks around to see who he can blame. And then he just sort of slams his fist into the turf. It's it's oh, brilliant. Man. I like it. <laughs> but yeah, listen, um, let's see with Lacazette. Yeah. You know, let's see. I, 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 I would... L- I'd love him to get a goal that was in his name. I do think it would do him the mm. world of good. Um, he needs it and we need it from him. So let's yeah. see. All right. Well, look, we will leave it there. Um, we're not playing until Sunday. So it's going to be another one of those long weeks without mm-hmm. much Arsenal news, um, which is the case when things are going pretty well. Um with the team, things tend to be a bit quieter uh, than normal. But uh, let's hope they've uh, got a good week ahead of them on the training ground. They'll be ready for Watford on Sunday. Another three points there will be nice. We'll talk about it more during the week and maybe uh, towards the end of the week as well. James, as ever, thank you very much. Thank you guys uh, for being here. Once more, just thanks a million for all the messages regarding the Arsblog 20. Um, yeah, just I can't say how much I appreciate everything. So thank you to you guys, and we will catch you on the next one. Oh, wait. Hang on. One oh. moment. Oh. Oh, oh. <gasps> Sorry, I just caught Kepa's penalty. <laughs> <laughs> it just dropped in through the window. Uh, better that than the fucking lawnmower guy, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cheers, guys. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. You changed it. You changed... That's the... You, you, you added variety there. Okay, I'll do the proper one. Yeah, yeah. Bye-bye. Perfect.
A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.